of you know that we're part of a church planting network called Friends of St. Mary's that planted us uh, nearly two years ago. And uh, when I went to London, I was uh, being trained and was there for six months with my family. And, and uh, just Gareth is probably the most influential person that I spent time with there. Just became a great friend. Um, he's, we're about the same age, same life experiences. He comes from a youth background. He's a little younger than me. Um, and he's, he's single. I, I said that this morning. He actually has a girlfriend, and we're hoping that she doesn't listen to the podcast. I'd be bad if she heard that in London. But, you know, I'm looking out for you. Anyway, um, so anyway, but Gareth just has had a, a huge impact just because of his time that's been spent at, the, at a church that moves like that and does those things. He's been a worship leader before. He's just very gifted. would really encourage you to come and hear him next Sunday morning if you haven't, if you didn't hear him today. And if you can, you can go to uh, iTunes, go to our podcast, and listen to our talks if you can't make the services uh, just because they're going to kind of – they're going to flow more than normal because we're kind of all over the map. But anyway, um, my material – it's not my own, as it never is. It's actually from a book that I've started to read, and it's called The Unshakable Kingdom by E. Stanley Jones. The Unshakable Kingdom by E. Stanley Jones. Everything good that I say tonight is his material, I promise, without a doubt. Some of the funny stuff might be mine, but the, the content and the meat comes from a, a, more of a scholar, and uh, it's totally stolen. So E. Stanley Jones, I think he's dead, but if he's not, you know, and you listen to our podcast, because I'm sure that you do, just I'm giving you credit right now, brother. All right. He was 83 when he wrote the book, and I think the book's old, so who knows? You listen to from heaven. Do you think Jesus listens to our podcast? I think he does. But anyway, this morning Gareth talked about, you know why I don't like using the mic? It's because it's right in the middle of my notes, and i got to go like this to see it. This morning Gareth talked about identity uh, coming from Christ, and that we are God's messengers to the world. By the power of his Holy Spirit that lives within us, directs us, and provides the power to further the kingdom of God. That's his talk in a nutshell. Actually, you don't need to listen to his talk. You don't need to listen to it because that was it right there. That's basically it. That when a king established authority in the ancient Near East, in, the, in biblical times, the time of Israel, he would erect a statue that looked like himself so that others would know whose kingdom ruled that space. That had been conquered. And so what happens, so what God does is when we become Christians, basically, this is a quick rendition. I would encourage you to listen and talk. What happens to us is when we become Christians, we become his image bearers. And we've heard that language used in the, in the Bible. That we are a new creation, creating the image of Christ. And so, and so, and so basically, we're his, like many me's, we're his little idols on this earth. Bearing his image to the world so that the world will know there is a king that is ruling and that has power and that has authority and is making things happen. And so, so that's our role. Is the, to be, and, and what that looks like and the way that happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the way Jesus did that was by preaching the word, casting out demons... And performing miraculous signs. And so if we're to further that as disciples of Christ, as image bearers of Christ, then we too will need to be doing what Jesus did, what, what he did. And he, and he tells us that, that you will do, you know, even greater things that I've done. You'll do what I've done. I've given you my authority. And you'll continue those things. That's the only way it can happen, really. How could we be image bearers of the king 
if Jesus, we know that Jesus is incarnate, how can we bear his image if we're not doing the things that Jesus did? It doesn't make sense. Logical sense. So that's what Garris talks about. So if that's true, why don't we experience, I'm having a hard time doing two things at once. Why don't we experience more of his kingdom breaking through into our lives, into our families, oh yeah, into our church? You know, in ministry time today, tonight, why is it that when we ask for the Holy Spirit to come, that people who are struggling with pornography tonight will still go home and start struggle with pornography? Why will people who are in broken relationships continue to be in broken relationships, knowing that they don't satisfy them? Why, why is that? Why will people come forward for physical healing tonight and not be physically healed? If we're image bearers and this is true, why does that happen? Well, some of it's a mystery, granted, and we don't understand it. And we're not going to pretend to. I don't have the answers of why that happens or why that doesn't happen all the time. But there is a reason that, 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 that I'm going to speak about tonight that prevents the kingdom of God coming, that prevents the power of God being received and transforming and healing and doing the things that Jesus did. The main thing that blocks us from experiencing the kingdom of God is ourselves. We are the ones who are the greatest hindrance to the kingdom coming on earth, coming in our lives, impacting our families. And it's not because we, like, don't do it right or we don't understand it enough. That's not it. It's because we're selfaholics. We're selfaholics. We would rather serve ourselves than serve the king. You know, in the ancient Near East, I told you that a statue would be placed to remind the people whose authority they were under. The king of whose ever image that was did not demand perfection from his subjects. He demanded loyalty. And he says, if you're loyal to me, then I will bless you. If you're not loyal to me, I will curse you. And in the same way, the reason we don't experience the kingdom of God is not because we're, we're not perfect like Jesus. That's not it. Because God said that he would transform the world through man. Through man. Okay? And, and Jesus was the archetype that came, who began it, and we're to continue that. So it's not perfection that God is after. It's loyalty. It's loyalty. And the reason we don't experience the kingdom is because our hearts are loyal to us. That's the bottom line, is that we are selfaholics and we would rather serve ourselves than submit and serve the king, the good king. What's ironic about this is that in, a, in, a, in an effort to serve ourselves, to do what is best for us, we directly oppose the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the place where we find and will only find our true identity, our true value, our true self. And so when we serve ourself, we're actually opposing ourself. Because we will only be the greatest, the truest, the most powerful 
when we find our place in God's kingdom. Jesus deals with this directly. In Matthew 16, 13 to 17, he says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, and again, just I want to tell you, everything that Simon Peter says is in the plural. It's representing the whole group. So it's not like Simon Peter screwing up again, you know, like whenever he denied Jesus. It's like, it's just Simon Peter is representing, he's like the representative speaking for the hearts and the minds of all the disciples, okay? And so Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Up until now, the disciples had been following Jesus, along with a lot of other people who had been following other rabbis, other teachers, other prophets. As Jesus was preaching on the mountainside and doing his thing, really what he was doing is the prophet thing, what looked like the prophet thing and the teaching thing that all the rabbis did, and they each had a following. And and these disciples that were following Jesus were following him as a good teacher, as a prophet, and as a rabbi. But now that all changes because they know the truth. They know the truth that, that he is God's Savior to them and the world. This was the one that they had been waiting for, that was going to redeem them, that was going to restore their life. The Deliverer, the Messiah, the Anointed One that the prophets had spoken about. They knew. They knew that. And, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10 on good information to know, that's like a 10 plus. It didn't get any better than that. When it comes to to knowledge that would be helpful in life, that's a biggie. And you would think, you would think, that the disciples, upon hearing that reality and that truth and understanding that by the Spirit, by the Father, you would think that they would be on board now and that the rest of the story would be kind of just like they kind of coast into Jerusalem, right? Because, I mean, that, I mean, they know that he is the Son of God. They believe it's the Son of God. Well, exactly the opposite happens. It all goes not so crazy. Orzaro world enters in to the kingdom as an inside joke. Whitey, John White, he's got crazy things happening in his life all the time. He's like, here's a story from Bizarro world. But anyway, that's a sidebar. You don't have to pay for that. But anyway, so Bizarro world enters in, and all of a sudden, what should be simple, what should be known, what should be realized, and help usher in, kind of bring Jesus into the place where, you know, the rubber's going to hit the road and, and the cat's going to be let out of the bag. He's going to be crucified. It, it just went crazy. The exact opposite happened. You see, they knew that he was the son of God, but they did not know that self-giving, self-sacrificial love was at the center of his being, was at the center of him being the son of God, and therefore at the center of of the kingdom of God. 
They expected Jesus to ride into Jerusalem and crush the Roman authorities, assert his power. And he had more power than anyone. Assert his power and set up his kingdom by force. In their minds, it was going to be a self-asserted kingdom with him and with them. And they were excited about that to the degree that two of them had, had picked out the seats that they were going to have with him when he was king. And so, they, so they believed that he was the son of God, but they, but they missed and they didn't understand that being the son of God, central to that, was self-sacrifice. A heart that had been humbled in obedience to his father and his father's will. Even Jesus understood that his identity, that his purpose would only be fully realized in obedience to the Father and bowing to the kingdom of God, his Father, and his place in that kingdom. But the disciples missed it. I'm going to tell you why they missed it just now. And Jesus sets them straight right away. He doesn't beat around the bush. Some of the most famous words spoken in Scripture come next. He wants to let them know that, the, that central to the kingdom of God and his identity was self-sacrificing or self, self-sacrificing love. And this portion of scripture marks a shift in Jesus' public ministry time to a time where he, he narrows his focus to the 12 disciples. And it says that he starts to show them and to teach them what it means to follow him. And he says this next. From that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And then Jesus says, But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to lay down his life. And if he, if they wanted to follow him, he was telling them that they would need to do the same. They must deny their desires their self, their desire for personal gain, and take up their own cross and follow him. And then he ends with one of the most powerful sentences ever said about his relationship with his followers and where abundant life comes from. In verse 25 he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see how that correlates with what I was saying earlier? If you want to find your life, if you really want to serve yourself, that's only going to happen when you die to yourself and trust that I have the best life for you, that you will find your place in my Father's kingdom. But when you serve yourself first, you actually will lose life, not find it. It's easy for us to read this text. I mean, I read this. I'm like, what morons? How could they miss that? I mean, how, they knew he was the son of God. How, why wouldn't they just be following him? Like, okay, we don't get it. Whatever, dude. We're with you, though. But they don't do that. They resist him at every turn. And I think 
you know, they missed it for the same reason we miss it. We don't like the idea that our relationship with Christ will cost us anything. That we can serve ourselves. We want to serve ourselves, and at the same time, we want to be able to serve Jesus. We want both. We want both. And why do we miss the kingdom? Why don't we experience more of the kingdom? Because we're too busy serving ourselves, building our own kingdom, worrying about ourselves. When we take our focus off ourselves and surrender to what God wants, things fall into place. Jesus was teaching them and us that his self-sacrificing love involved their and our self-sacrificing love. If we want the kingdom, we have to sacrifice. That's the only way we're going to experience it. They didn't want to do it, just like we don't want to do it. And Peter said, and he was representing them all, our minds are easily caught up, like Peter, our minds are easily caught up in what is best for me. Peter did not want that to happen to Jesus. That will never happen to you, Jesus. Why do you think Peter said that? Because he didn't want it to happen to him. He knew Because he followed Jesus, that Jesus was his rabbi, that eventually he would be doing the things, saying the things, and teaching the things of Jesus. And so when Jesus said that, immediately Peter and the disciples, as Jews would know, that means we're in for the same thing that he's in for. So Peter's concern has nothing to do with Jesus. Peter's concern is about himself, about his kingdom, what is best for him. And he doesn't want to die on a cross. That's why Jesus rebuked him like he did. Because Jesus knew and he knows today that as long as you are focused on the things of man, as long as you are focused on yourself, you will not experience my kingdom. You will not come into the identity that I've died to give you. I mean, imagine Jesus telling them he's getting ready to go and die for them. Why, did he, why is he dying for them? He's told them to give you freedom, to set you free. I'm, I'm going to die for you to give you a new hope. I am the Messiah, the Son of God, and I will bring life. I will prepare a place for you in heaven. These are all the things that Jesus tells them. He's been telling them. He's been demonstrating. He's been preaching. been showing them these things. And they're basically saying, well, actually, we're just going to kind of serve ourselves. And Jesus wasn't going to have anything of it because he loves us so much. He wants us to know that if you want to experience life to the full, the kingdom of God, and all the bonuses that come with that package, then you have to get your eyes off yourself, feeling sorry for yourself, playing the victim card all the time. It's all about me. How is worship going to make me feel? What am I going to go away with? What am I going to do after college? How much money am I going to make? What kind of house am I going to live on? Live in? You don't realize that we have Christianized self-aholicism. That's a word. We've made it okay to be self-aholics. Even in our church, it's dangerously close. We come back again and again. We emphasize healing again and again. And that's important that we are on a path of healing all the time. But if that path takes you away from being obedient to what God has for you to do, you will never be healed. You'll never be restored. You'll never become who you were created to be. The reason you are healed is so that you will become Jesus Christ with skin on, you will become his statue in this world of transformation. So when you ask the question, why am I still depressed? Why am I still struggling with these things? Why am I still who I am? It's because your eyes are on yourself and not on the king. 
And now I'm being healed to be used by the king. You want to be healed so that you can be healed for yourself and then live a happy life. And, you know, and when you turn 65, retire and play golf all the time. I mean, that's the path our culture says that we should lead and live and pursue. And if you do, my friends, you will never experience the kingdom of God. You will never be healed. You will live a life always wanting more, never being satisfied, incomplete of what God has for you. The disciples had hold, and many of us do too, of the greatest knowledge. Whoops, I turned the page too early. The disciples had hold of the greatest knowledge ever imparted to man, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. But that knowledge was not enough. It did not help them one bit. It did not solve one of their problems. All of their old clashes, all of their old patterns, all of their old struggles still remained just in intensified form. So the idea, and I would even go as far to say the lie that we believe, that if we give people the right knowledge of Jesus Christ, everything will take care of itself, is a lie. They had the right knowledge. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew it. Not because they figured it out, because God told them. This is the Son of God. This is my Son. They had the right knowledge, and they still missed it. So the idea that if we just communicate the gospel, that's enough, is not true. It's not true. That being a Christian means thinking correctly about God is not true. Knowledge is only as good as it leads us to life. As it leads us to change, as it leads us to healing and transformation and places us in his kingdom where we can find our identity and move in the power and the authority that we were created to have. I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it, that God would allow us to move in the power and the authority that he's given us on our own outside of his plan, does it? That's just because then we would get the glory. So that's just not going to happen unless the surrendered self is surrendered to something beyond itself, the kingdom of God, nothing changes. You know that wasn't my line, so I want to read it again. Unless the surrendered self is surrendered to something beyond itself, the kingdom of God, nothing changes. The central loyalty of the twelve was to themselves. They wanted the kingdom to come at Jerusalem for what they could get out of it. They wanted to be on top and still in control. When you surrender to the kingdom of God, meaning that you trust that what is best for you will only come in allowing God to use you for furthering his kingdom. That's what it means to surrender to the king, to the kingdom of God. That You trust him, that he knows what's best. When you surrender to him, you surrender to the God of love who will make you into something you can never be on your own. You will think things, say things, dream things, and do things that will blow your mind, that people won't understand. You are allowing God to attach you to a power that created the universe. 
I thought of this analogy this morning as I was riding my bike. It's like we're each, we're each a fuse, Christians and non-Christians. We're like a fuse, like a big fuse, that you, you know. And when we become a Christian, we get plugged into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And we become powerful all of a sudden. Our fuse leads to something rather than just kind of sparking. There's, I mean, in a fuse, there's fire. It can burn. It can, you know, it kind of looks neat, you know, and, and it kind of looks nice in the dark and everything. A fuse isn't bad, but it certainly is much better when it sets off something that goes boom, something that's powerful. And so when you become a Christian, and many of us, we believe this and we experience this. We, we get attached through the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God to a powerful source, through the Holy Spirit. But we never, we never allow God to place us in a place where he can display his glory through us. On Halloween, we got these, I was passing South Carolina coming back, and we got these things, these illegal fireworks. My kids love to blow things up. And, it, and what it does is it has a tube, and you set this thing in the tube, and this long fuse goes in, it goes into the tube, and it explodes and the first explosion shoots it up in the air, and the second explosion just makes this awesome display of fireworks. And it's like the tube is the kingdom of God in our life. And until we submit and allow God to place us in a place in his kingdom, we will never display his glory like we were created to. We'll satisfy ourselves with just being connected to the powerful explosive dynamite, but we will never move and do what we are created to do unless we surrender to the king, unless we submit ourselves to his will in our lives. This talk is not about serving. I'm ending right now. This talk is not about serving and sacrificing and doing stuff for Jesus so that he'll love us more or be happy with us. I want this talk, I want you to leave with understanding. It's about surrendering. It's about stopping serving yourself, thinking about yourself all the time, and starting to tell God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to have the parts of my life that I still am holding on to, the parts of my life that bring comfort to me, the parts of my life that I just, I just love. And, and that could be a lot of things. I'm going to talk about that next week, what those things are and why we have a difficult time surrendering. Why do we have such a difficult time surrendering? Why is that so? That's what next week's talk's on. But what I'm after tonight, and we're going to have ministry right now, is just saying, God, I want to surrender. I, w- I just want to surrender. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the parts of my life even are that I need to surrender. Maybe. I know some, but I don't know all of them. But I just, I believe this is the truth. I don't want my will to get in the way of yours. Okay? So don't go out and start, you know, selling stuff and giving everything to the poor and doing this, doing this, doing this, you know, and self-sacrificing love for Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm after tonight. I'm after, and what God's after is your heart. He gets your heart. He gets everything. You give him your heart. He gets everything. And you'll do whatever he wants. You'll do whatever he wants when you trust him with your heart. And he starts to heal you and restore you. So why don't we stand right now, and we're going to ask God to help us surrender our life to him. Literally, giving God every inch of our heart, trusting that when we turn our life over to him, 
He will only and always do what is best for us, what is good, what is loving. Father, we just invite you to come now. We surrender to you. We want to experience the joy that you have for us. That comes, the joy that comes in serving you, being a part of your kingdom. Father, we don't want to do it backwards. We don't want to continue to make all these efforts to get you to love us. These efforts to stop, to start, to begin again. These patterns in our life that we seem that we can't get rid of. We're tired of those battles, Lord. We want you to come and to take those parts of our heart tonight that are causing us pain that are preventing us from experiencing you. We want you to take those tonight as we surrender to you. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come now and help us to surrender to the Father's will for our life. And again, you just might want to open yourself up. You might want to hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. Just telling God, all of me, you have all of me. I want to surrender my agenda, Father, for your kingdom. I want to experience the blessings of your kingdom, the blessings that come when I'm loyal to what you want rather than to what I want. And you just might want to take some time to repent of the things that might just surface now as the Spirit moves and convicts and and raises things in our hearts that we've been holding on to, just ask God to, to forgive you for those things, those idols in your life, those compulsions, those desires that you know are not from him. And Father, we're thankful that as we ask for forgiveness, that you forgive us as far as the east is from the west, that you remember our sins no more. Just come, Holy Spirit, now and fill each of us with the Father's will, the Father's love, the Father's kingdom. We come now on earth as it is in heaven. And each one of us, that we would experience your blessings, your healing, and your transformation. Just as the worship music keeps going, I would just encourage you to just to stay in this place. You know, it's not often that we create space like this where I'm not asking you to come and have the answers. I haven't told you the answers. I've just told you that God wants your heart. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to surrender. And just stay in this place and just say, maybe again and again, Father, I surrender my heart to you trust you with my life. I surrender my heart to you. I trust you with my life. I know there are folks here tonight that are struggling with shame. We definitely want to pray for you. It's so often that when we believe the enemy, his lies, that somehow we don't deserve to be a part of the kingdom, that we take ourselves out. So we choose not to surrender because we don't think we're worthy of the king. And again, Jesus doesn't desire. God doesn't want. He knows you cannot be perfect. That's why we need Jesus. He desires your loyalty. He wants your loyalty. 
So right now, Father, I just pray that any shame and any guilt that people have experienced or that they're experiencing now, that, that they feel like disqualifies them from being used in your kingdom, from receiving the identity that you have for them, to be your image bearer on this earth. I break the power of those lies in the name of Jesus Christ right now and ask that you would come and fill them with new hope, with truth. And the promise that Jesus has told us as his children that we will do greater things than he has done. Just come, Holy Spirit, now. Help us to surrender. If you're on the ministry team, if you can come forward and pray for folks, that'd be great. If you'd like prayer, again, just stick your hands out. That lets us know. We'll come pray for you. If you want to come forward, we'll pray for you. You can stay right where you are, though. You can kneel. You can sit. If you'd like physical healing for something in your, your body that has been plaguing or bothering you, we'd love to pray for that as well, just over here on the side. Let's just stay in this place for a season as you feel led. Father, again, we just invite you to come in power, that you would move in each of our lives, helping us to surrender to your will, to your kingdom. Reveal to us, Lord, the parts of our heart that we've